welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So, um, if you want to turn to the book of Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 43, excuse me, 34, 34, Psalm 34. And uh, just by way of review, uh, last week, uh, Ben actually taught and did a fantastic job, by the way. Well done, Mr. Ben. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I felt like a fish out of water, um, so I'm glad to be here, um, but that was awesome. Ben talked about love. We're in a series called The Power of a Word. Uh, we talked about grace and uh, love last week, this week peace, and so Ben talked a little bit about love and some brief meditations on love. I really pushed for brief provocations on love. That was my offering, but uh, Ben went with the meditations on love, and that was awesome. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about grace, and um, really, this whole series is built on an idea or a belief that words are powerful. Um, The whole series is uh, the power of a word, and so we wanted to start with this fundamental assumption about language and about words that they have power. They have the power to communicate. They have the power to do something. Uh, from, from week one, a couple of quotes about words, if you remember. One would be from a lady named Pearl. Uh, she says this, Handle them carefully, for words have more power than atom bombs. Um, a guy, uh, excuse me, uh, I think it's a woman. Is it a woman? My, my notes are Agnes or something like that. What's the next one? Angela, there we go. I have A-N-G, that's all I've got. Um, But she says, language is power, life and the instrument of culture and the instrument of domination and liberation. Uh, And an unknown author says, language that we use to communicate with one another is like a knife in the hands of a careful and skilled surgeon. A knife can do great good, but in the hands of a careless or ignorant person, a knife can cause great harm, exactly as it is with our words. And so words have power. They have the ability to create beautiful things and structures and, and people, and they have the ability to tear down as well. Um, and, and one more brief uh, review piece uh, that we talked about with we, in week one, words are uh, they're asymptotic in nature. Now, for those that are not into math and don't really um, care to be into math, an asymptote is a mathematical idea And it's this idea that uh, it's always approaching but never reaching. So if you picture a line on a a graph in the, you know, x and y axis, an asymptote is is the line or the curve of the line, and it's, in math, it's infinitely approaching the line, but it's never reaching the line. And words are asymptotic in nature. They're, they're always seeking to describe something, but they never get fully there. They're never able to actually tell us what it is that it's trying to communicate about. And Ben talked a little bit about this last week beautifully, and, and I won't try to repeat it. I'll say download the podcast if you missed it. So words. This week we want to explore the word peace. So... Um, Many of you know that I grew up in a family with five boys, and uh, that was a bit crazy at times, yes. Um, and, and if you can imagine, actually, I, was, I, was, uh, I think it was tough. We were, we were talking the other day, if you didn't know, Christy's pregnant, um, and we were talking, you know, about, you know, is it a boy or a girl, and, and Toph says, yeah, I think it's a girl. You know, we only need one destroyer of things. And I jumped in, and I went, um, a girl will not ensure that. Just so you know, I have three that will prove it. Um, 
But uh, that was, um, so growing up with five boys in one home, you can imagine the total chaos that might ensue. It was a circus then, and it's actually still a circus now. Some of you have hung out with my brothers and I, and uh, it's, it's crazy. But for us, for me growing up, peace was the absence of conflict. It was uh, no one trying to beat me up. It was no one, um, you know, chasing me down with a hockey stick or uh, at one point in my life, literally a pencil sharpener. I'm not talking about the small ones you put in your packpacks. I'm talking about the ones you mount to a desk, okay? I got chased with a, 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 a pencil sharpener, and actually that was thrown at me. Um, so peace in my family was about the absence of conflict. It was about the absence of war, really. Um, turn to Psalm 34 if you're not already there, and we're going to start here. Uh, and, and I want to read, starting in verse 8 from Psalm 34 through verse about 14. And as you're turning there, I'll say this just by, um, because I shall give credit where credit is due. Um, some of this that, that I'll share today, I, I heard first from a guy named Rob Bell. Uh, I'm taking it a bit of a different direction than Mr. Bob Bell, so, uh, but I want to give credit where credit is due. So Psalm 34, starting in verse 8. We're on first name terms, me and Bob. <laughs> Says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 11, come my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So this is obviously the psalmist and he's writing in the context of Israel and there's all these admonitions to Israel and the last line there is seek peace and pursue it. So in my house, see, uh, peace was the absence of war. Uh, and I think in our culture, if we think about, you know, outside of my own family definition of peace, when we talk about peace from a, a Western American perspective, uh, I think it, it would probably fall in line with that. It's the absence of war. It's the absence of conflict. So fundamentally, our definition of peace is the absence of something, right? If there isn't war or there isn't conflict, then there is, there, there's the potential for peace. So it's fundamentally the absence of something. But we all know that uh, the Bible was not written in English. Um, Jesus was probably not a white male. He wasn't Scandinavian, and he wasn't a Clairol model. Um, you know, the blue sash with the flowing hair, right? We've seen this. Jesus was actually Hebrew. He was Jewish. And so for us, as we read this psalm and other scriptures that talk about peace, if we're to understand peace, we have to do it from at least, or we have to at least try to do it from a Hebrew perspective because our understanding of peace is I would argue, and I think we'll show, uh, very, very different. In the English language, of course, there's many, 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 many words. It's a, it's, a, it's a complicated language, and people who learn it say it's really difficult because there's so many different words. In other cultures, and specifically in Hebrew, there might be one word that has multiple meanings. So you could say peace, but it could be this, 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 or this, depending on context. So I hope that as we really kind of mine this word and dig into it a little mo bit more, We'll begin to understand it. And my contention is that if we're going to understand peace and we want to understand it as it relates to the scriptures, we have to do it from 
at least an attempt to do it from a Jewish perspective. So I want to define peace as it's understood in the scriptures. And then I want to take it in a little different direction. We've talked about this word before. So some of this may be a bit of review, but I want to then take it in a very different direction. And I want to connect it to you and me and the potential that lies within humanity. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Buckle up. Hebrew, uh, peace, our notion, remember, peace, the absence of war and conflict. The Hebrew notion of peace, as it's, as it's told in Scripture, uh, has to do with a couple of different ideas, and, and they might be harmony, flourishing, uh, safe, well, prosperity, wellness, and maybe most fundamentally, wholeness. So when we talk about peace, when the psalmist says, seek peace and pursue it, if you notice the difference when we talk about peace, it's the absence of war it's, or it's the absence of conflict. But peace from a Hebrew perspective is actually the presence of something. So it's, it's, it's a total shift for a Jewish person and for the scriptures. When we talk about peace, it's not the fundamental absence of something, but it's the presence of something. It's the presence of wholeness. It's the presence of harmony. It's the presence of delight and flourishing. One author, Tim Keller, says, uh, Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Very, very different understanding of the word peace than we might say it. So, maybe you could say it this way. Or or, or I want to say first, I want to say first, peace... And this, under, this idea of shalom, this Hebrew understanding of shalom, I would submit to you is absolutely critical to understanding the story of God in the scriptures. If we don't understand shalom, if you don't get peace, I would submit that to understand Jesus and anything that's going on in scriptures is, is, is off on the wrong foot from the get-go. So I would say peace is fundamental to understanding the story of God as told in the scriptures and ultimately understanding who Jesus is and was and what he set out to do. Because the story of God in the scriptures begins with peace. Genesis 1 and 2. This this idea of shalom, this is what's pictured in Genesis 1 and 2. And if the story starts there and we don't understand that, and we don't understand what's going on and how that's all working together, then everything that flows from that point forward begins to be filtered through a metaphor, a lens, a a way of seeing things that sets us off down the wrong track. Not to name names, but Augustine, unfortunately, often starts with Genesis 3, right, where sin enters the picture. And that's the beginning of the story, and that's the lens through which we see the whole story. Now, Jesus did come to forgive sin. He did come to do something about sin. But fundamentally, he did something that starts with and has its roots in shalom, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, Let me illustrate this. My my wife, Laura, who's sitting down here. Hi, honey. How are you? (laughs) Did anyone see that face? Yeah, you guys saw it. You guys did. (laughs) So... um, when Laura and I are having a conversation, um, you know, having a little chat, and uh, actually it's pretty cute. Our girls have, have now adopted this language, and so we'll sit down at the dinner table, and little Lindy will say, Dad, let's have a chat. <laughs> How was you, what was your day? What was your day, Dad? Let's have a chat. What was your day? So, um, so when we have a little chat, you know, we like to have these chats, and we and, and, uh, talk back and forth. 
um, Laura will often start a story, or we'll be, we'll be talking, talking, and then, and then kind of jump tracks and start a story, and she'll say, you know, Liz the other day was doing this and doing that and so on and so forth, and she'll tell this big, you know, this long story. And I, of course, am the interpreter of the information, correct? Right? I am the, the receiver of said communication act. And so I am filtering the whole story, right? Because the referent is Liz. And so I'm filtering the whole story through Liz, right? This person, Liz. And I know Liz. She lives down in Lakeville. She has a, a husband named Chad and three children. And she's involved with Project Foodstock and Project Food Patch and dear friends of ours, so on and so forth. So I've, I've interpreted the entire story through Liz, the referent, Liz down in Lakeville, who's got two ki- three kids, so on and so forth. And then I get to the end of the story, and, and, and as the story goes along, I'm kind of thinking like, this is not making any sense at all. In fact, that's not like Liz to do that or say that or be that or, or, or go there or hang out with those people. And then it dawns on me, it's the wrong Liz, right? We have Liz, Liz Anderson, we have Liz Hofer, we have Liz Caswell, there's many Liz's. And depending, and get this, this is why I tell you the story. Because you're probably, many of you are looking at me like, why are you telling us this? If you don't understand the word, the person, the referent correctly, then the entire story is skewed, right? The entire story that's told makes no sense. If you don't understand shalom, what the writers of Genesis seek to tell us in Genesis 1 and 2 about who God is and why God created and what God's intent for creation looks like, if you don't understand that, I would submit to you that the rest of the story is very easily skewed because our referent is wrong. We're not, we're not interpreting it through that lens. And so I want to start by saying, shalom is critical. It's fundamental to understanding the story of God in the scriptures. Now, what do we know about shalom? What do we know about creation? What do we know about this thing that the writer seeks to do in Genesis 1 and 2? Secondly, I would say creation is not static, it's dynamic. It's not static, it's dynamic. Any climbers in the room? Any people that like to rock climb? Rock climb, a couple of you, okay? Uh, In rock climbing, you want a dynamic rope, not a static rope. Why? Because when you fall off the cliff or when you fall off the rock face, when it catches and there's no longer any more rope between you and your anchor point, if it's a static rope, it just stops and you get hurt quite badly, right? The chiropractors love you. But if it's a dynamic rope, it's got a little bit of give. It's got a little play. It moves a little bit. Creation, as we understand in Genesis 1 and 2, is not a static thing. It's not like God speaks and then that's it. Actually, it's very dynamic. It has this life pulsing through it. And we know this because if you look out that window now, you'll see those trees and they have no leaves on them. But if you look out that window, God, I pray, in the next six months, <laughs> they will begin to sprout. They will begin to have leaves on them, right? Or, 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 or humans, for that matter, like you, um, you, you may, I, I was pointing over here, but I, you know, I'm going to leave this one, I'm going to leave this one anonymous because that was all, that's always a tricky deal. Um, we have the capacity to bring life. We have the capacity to create life and be a part of the creation of life. Creation is not static, it's dynamic. One, one author says this, uh, this guy named John Pokinghorn, he used to be a quantum physicist, uh, like quarks and atoms and leptons and all this other crazy stuff, and now he's an Anglican priest, 
figure that one out, right? He says this, it is a continuous, he's speaking of creation, it's a continuous progressive unfolding of the world. Mountains erode, others are thrust upward, land masses shift. The landscape is in continual flux. Creation is ongoing and evolving. Creation is the ongoing process, or excuse me, creation is in the ongoing process of making itself. Which is to say that creation, it's not done it's, it's, it's a dynamic thing that has life potential right there under the surface. Now, this is the invitation of God to humanity in Genesis 1 and 2, to participate in this, to be a part of this, to be active participants, not, not observers, not robots that just watch it, but who actually participate in it. So creation is dynamic, it's not static. And this is the beautiful thing of Genesis 1 and 2. And in light of Genesis 3, so if this is what God made in the beginning and then Genesis 3 happens, in light of Genesis 3, the biblical story now tells us that this is where creation is headed back to. This is what God has, this is what God is seeking to reclaim and restore and redeem what he made in the beginning. Shalom, peace, harmony, wholeness, flourishing. This is why the author of Psalms in, thir- in chapter 34 says, seek peace, pursue it. Because you and I actually have a part in this. We get to play a role. We played a role in Genesis 1 and 2 and in Genesis 3. We played a role in the dismantling of it. And, and, and we now continue to play a role. Now, don't get me wrong. Ultimately, the work has been done by Jesus and is done through us or through us by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that God isn't a part of this, but we play a role in this thing. So let's move from peace, not the absence of conflict or war, but the presence of wholeness, harmony, shalom, this Hebrew idea, and that creation is not a static thing, but a dynamic thing. And let's transition to what is in your hand. Why can the psalmist say, seek peace, pursue it, work for it? We set this whole thing up, right? Creation, shalom, what God has done, this active participation that humans have in this, this role that we play. And then the psalmist says, seek peace, pursue it, work for it. Put your energy, your capacity, your life towards that. What is in your hand? Think about this. God creates, out of love, God creates and he creates this beautiful creation, for the purpose of shalom. And then, and then he places humanity right in the midst of it, right in the middle of it. And steps back and says, what will you do? What will you create? What will you, right? We've talked about this a little bit. These two Hebrew words, uh, rule and subdue, kabash and radah, they have this, this idea of steward it, tend it, get your hands in on it, participate in it. This is the invitation of God. He creates and then places humans right in the middle of it and says, what will you do? What will you create? What will you make? How will you participate in this thing? Now, some of you know that uh, I used to be a junior high youth pastor. Junior hires, if you don't know, middle schoolers, right? These are 6th, 7th, 8th graders, sometimes 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th graders, depending on what school district you're in and what part of the country you live in. Now, without going into great detail about junior hires and the psyche of a junior hire, 
I'll say this. Um, junior hires are right in the midst of what we like to call adolescence, right? This amazing, beautiful experience called puberty. <laughs> and I, as a junior high youth pastor, have seen some absolutely bonkers things. I have seen kids eat, consume leeches because their friends thought it would be funny and cool, and they dared them to do it. And their youth pastor might have dared them to do it too. <laughs> I have seen kids, I have seen adolescent boys who thought it was a brilliant idea, three stories up, halfway across the world, in another country, at a hotel room, where the, the, the hotel goes like this, and there's a room here on this side and a room here on this side. And there's no OSHA in Kosovo, okay? These people don't care. So you open the window, and it's three stories straight down. It's, 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 it's nothing but air. And I, I, I know children, kids, who said, hey, what if we jumped across it? Do you think that would be fun? I bet you can't do it. I bet you can't do it. And there's, you know, this prepubescent sort of, um, you know, man contest. I bet you can't do it. I bet you can't. I bet you I can't. I bet you can't. No, you won't. Yes, I will. A double dog. A triple dog dare you. And so three stories up, halfway across the country, in a developing world, in a developing country with, you know, no health care or shoddy health care at best, they jump across a, a, <laughs> a window. I have seen kids who dressed up like complete idiots, total buffoons, just because they thought it'd be funny. Just because they thought their friends would laugh, make an idiot of themselves because they thought it'd be funny. I have seen kids who trick their youth pastor into believing that a child was sleepwalking outside in the woods on a retreat. So said youth pastor, half naked in his boxer shorts, gets out of bed because he loves said child and goes to find the one lost sheep amidst the 99, running out into the woods only to hear click and lock and then laughter. And children with their faces against the window saying, you got hosed or whatever it is that they said. We totally got you. These kids, you know. Now, the question is, the question remains, why? Why do kids do this? Why do, why? It's like a, a switch, you know, at, at a particular age. Like somebody flips a switch and they just push the envelope. You know, some it's earlier than others. They just push the envelope. They go as far as they can. They want to see how far they can go. They start to exert their own what? Will. It's like at a moment, these kids realize that for their whole lives, they've had their diapers changed. They've had their food prepared for them. They've had this table set for them. They've had their rooms cleaned for them. They've had the floors vacuumed for them. And then they get this idea that the world is malleable and they have tools in their hands. Like they can, they can shape it. They can make a difference. They can actually choose something. They have a will, a volition. They have an energy. And it's pulsing. And I would submit to you that Adolescence is like the crescendo of this moment where they begin to realize like they've got something to offer. They've got something to say. And so they just go for it. Why? Because they do. Because you do. Because we do have something to say. We do have something to offer. We do have a will. We do have the ability and the capacity to shape something 
the things around us, the people around us, the world that we live in. And that is a life-giving moment when you recognize it. So I ask you this morning, as it relates to peace, the psalmist says, seek peace, pursue it. Two questions remain. What is in your hand and what will you work for? What is in your hand and what will you work for? If this is a moment in, 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 the, in the development of a human being where they realize that they have something to offer, I ask you this morning, what is in your hand? If in fact this is how God made the world and it's dynamic, not static, and we can shape it, then each of you, if you have a name and blood in your veins and a heart that's pumping it, you have something in your hands. Some of you, you create. You create. Some of you, you, you see something in your mind and in your heart, and then you bring it to life. It's as, it's as if it never existed except in your brain, in your heart, in your imagination, and then you work to actually bring it to life. Some of you do this with words. Some of you do this with, with music. Some of you do this with painting and rock, and you create you make it. Some of you, 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 you see all of the parts like they're laying on a garage floor and it gives you no greater joy than to take the parts and assemble them and create something and, and actually you saw the sum of the parts before they were ever put together. This is what you do. Where does that come from? Some of you, you shape things. You see something that already exists, a system, a person, a friend, a relationship, a kid. You see something that exists and you, you, you see the potential in it. And you form it, you press it, you shape it, you carve it, you curve it into whatever it is that you see. You draw it out, you shape it. Some of you make sense of the world. Uh, the world that we live in, obviously a very complex place. Some of you have this gift to take things that are very complex and make them very simple. By the way, for any of you budding musicians and artists in the room, anybody can take something simple and make it complex. Boring. Child's play. A sweet two, to f two and four backbeat, you know? Just simple. And then you try to make it complex with all these fills and all this. Okay, this is my, ju my youth pastor bit coming in out on me. You know, these kids, just bang, 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 bang. Anybody can make it complex, but to make something that's complex... Simple. Some of you do this. You make sense of the world through science, art, music, exploration, research. You tell stories about this world that we live in and you bring these truths to light. Some of you, you distribute and you make available. The world that we live in is not as it should be and you work. You take your energies and your passion and you, you sometimes redistribute and sometimes you distribute. You make available Things like water and hope and economic opportunity and all kinds of other things. You make it available. You distribute it. Some of you, you fight. You fight for things that you believe in. You fight for things that are right. Just holding back the Beastie Boys right now. <laughs> fight for your right. right. <laughs> you fight for kids who deserve an opportunity to learn. Um, ben, actually, he, he, unbeknownst to Ben last week, he, he told the story, and I was sitting right over here, and as the moment he started telling the story, I'm like, you thief, I was going to tell that story next week. <laughs> he didn't know it, though. I, and I, I never get a story like four, three weeks in advance, but this one I was ready to. So I'm going to tell it anyways, even though Ben told it last week. I don't even, I don't even care. 
Uh, this is a picture of a guy, uh, an artist named Banksy. Banksy's a graffiti artist. Uh, most of his stuff is, is available in uh, other parts of the world, uh, mostly Europe. But this is uh, Banksy's rendition of a story uh, that goes like this. Uh, there's a guy, a general in the army, and uh, uh, during World War II, uh, I think it was the British Army, and he was working in a, in a Jewish uh, internment camp, concentration camp, and he says this, I don't know who asked for lipstick. I wish so much I could discover who did it, because it was the action of pure genius, unadulterated brilliance. I believe nothing did more for these internees than the lipstick. Women lay in bed with no sheets and no nighty, but with scarlet red lips. I saw a woman dead on the post-mortem table, clutched in her hand was a piece of lipstick. At, some, at, at last, someone had done something to make them individuals again. They were someone, no longer merely the number tattooed on their arm. At last, they could take an interest in their appearance. The lipstick started to give them back their humanity. It's just one story of one person, whoever sent the lipstick, funneling, channeling, using their energies, their capacities to give life, to, to seek peace, to pursue it, to work for it. So I want to ask you this morning as we wrap things up, what is in your hand? It changes based on your season of life. For some of you, it's kids. It's these beautiful, precious little lives that are in your hands in some ways, and you get to shape them and call out the best in them and life in them. For some of you, it's a passion, it's a talent, it's a, it's a desire, it's, a, it's something that makes you pound the table. What is in your hand? And then there's always a choice, right? Because love isn't love without choice. That's not freedom, that's not gift, that's not grace. And so if love is a choice, then we have a choice to choose what we will do with whatever it is that's in our hand. And I think the psalmist is saying, seek peace, pursue it. With whatever energies and capacities and, and life you have in you, seek peace. Pursue it. Because Peace is the presence of something, not the absence of something. So what is in your hand and what will you work for? Now, I would be remiss without stopping here and saying this. The first step to peace, according to the story of the scriptures, is to ensure peace with the God who made us. And the scriptures say that we are enemies of God. That on our own, we are the enemy of God. That we are the enemy of peace. And that someone has ensured peace on our behalf. That being Jesus. And that peace comes from relationship with him and through relationship with him. And so I would say to you this morning, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection and our faith and trust in him, we become not only the friends of God, but sons and daughters of God. Heirs of something that we don't deserve to inherit, which is shalom, peace, life, now and forever. So, my friends, 
all I have to say about peace. I want to pray, and I'm going to ask Ben to come and close with uh, a very thoughtful and, I think, beautiful rendition of this song that's probably new to many of us, so I just want to encourage you to listen. If you know it, sing it, but let me pray if I could. God, we want to... uh, I want, personally, to be found as a person who is seeking and pursuing peace, as the psalmist says. A person who is, uh, at the very core of who I am, uh, recognizes that you have given me something, that you have placed something within me, this energy, this life, this capacity that you have endowed, that you have gifted me with. and invited me to participate in the world to help shape and create and work for, pursue peace. God, I pray that by your spirit that would be true of me. I pray that by your spirit that would be true of my friends in this room. And by your spirit, God, I pray that that would be true of your church. That we as a community would be found taking the collection of things that are present in this room, at this table, and investing them for peace, which is what you created the world for, which is what the cross and resurrection ensures, and what you have pulled from the future into the present. God, may we be found faithful. May we be found um, as friends, as sons and daughters of yours through through the work of Jesus on the cross, working for, doing our part, by your spirit, for peace, for shalom, for wholeness, for delight in this world. We look forward to what is coming. We're grateful for what we have and for who you are. Find us online at www at erectingcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.